Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hands down, one of the best parts of being a kid was pouring a big bowl of cereal first thing in the morning. But these days, I'm really aiming to cut down on all those carbs, and especially the sugar, so I've mostly given up cereal. That's where Magic Spoon comes in. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and there's only 140 calories a serving. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and the pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. Magic Spoon is amazing, simply put. It tastes exactly like regular cereal from childhood, but unlike those sugary calorie bombs, it's super nutritious. It's delicious but healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings. Go to magicspoon.com BGA to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code BGA at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com BGA and use the code BGA to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. And this, this is, is Anthony. Chris. And this is episode 383, Designer Top 10, Martin Wallace. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for help bringing us a brand new episode. All right, my friends, we are back, and we are back with one of our great designers, 
Martin Wallace. Not in person, but in cardboard and oddly arranged in a top yes, 10 format. Yes, that's what we do. We take things and we oddly arrange them in a top 10 format, not in cardboard, not in person, just digitally in a weird way. <laughs> um, <laughs> Martin Wallace has been around for a while. He's done a ton of great games, but in the last like three, four years, I feel like a lot of stuff has really kind of surfaced as some of the best games. So it'll be kind of fun to look back and, and pull out 10 of the best of his. Yeah, a, a shout out to my friend Dave, who actually introduced me to like Martin Wallace games where back in the day I was playing Uwe Rosenberg and Stefan Feld games. I was like, and who is this young arts upstart, Martin Wallace, to tell me how to play my <laughs> board games? Like, yeah, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I, I get it now. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I see this. This is, yeah, this is a whole different thing. And so many different mechanics, iterations, ways to play just a very interesting, diverse catalog of fantastic games. So if you know Martin Wallace, stick around for a great ride. If you don't know Martin Wallace, this is a wonderful episode for you because you should know his games. His games are far and wide, you know, one of the greatest collections of board games out there from a designer. So we'll be talking about that on our feature review. But Anthony, before we get into that... There are other things right. happening too. Always, always other things <laughs> in the world that, that they're not Martin Wallace related, which seems right. weird. I don't know, but all right, let's talk about something that's not Martin Wallace. Okay, if we have to, just, <laughs> just this time, time. Just, 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 time. just 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 this time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so b- before we dive into some award-related stuff that we we wanted to talk about last week, but we'll get to why we couldn't in a minute because it's silly. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did want to touch on one thing because this has kind of come up a bunch. We've talked about Kickstarter. We've talked about Kickstarter being good and bad for the hobby and maybe slightly more bad for us as media. <laughs> like um, there's a whole yes. saga going on right now with a Kickstarter campaign from Blacklist Games. And like if you've looked if, into this at all, you, you know what we're talking about. But if you haven't, this is a company that... Uh, they've run a ton of Kickstarter campaigns. Um, Street Masters, Alter Quest, Brook City. These are games that have shipped, right? And it's the Sadler Brothers do all the designing of the games. It's kind of unclear who runs the company because they say they don't, even though they have senior positions. Who knows? Um, I don't want to say who does because I have no <laughs> idea. But their most recent Kickstarter campaign is, well, they have a few that are pending. But the the fantasy series, so the Blacklist Miniatures fantasy series, is basically stuck. And they say it's because they don't have the money. And this is me paraphrasing. So, you know, we're not, this is not legal in any you know sense of the word. But they don't have the money necessarily to pay Quartermaster Logistics, Cool Stuff's logistics company, to ship them out. So they went out and they asked their backers for... to pay to get everything shipped out. The game, the stuff is produced. It's there, but it's just not ready to go out. Now, we talked... Wait a minute, wait. Is that that Monopoly money? Is that Iron Clay money? Like, what are we talking about here? Uh, Yeah, That can't be real money. Sounds like real money. Um, They have 16,000 backers. So, like, somebody did the math, and it comes up to, like, $25 per person. 
So it's not as crazy as it sounds, except they're asking you for $25 more to ship the stuff that you've already paid the shipping on. Uh, this is one of those things where how long the game took to go from close of Kickstarter to fulfillment during the course of the pandemic and the astronomical spike in shipping costs has really hurt everybody. Now, I'm not speaking to Blacklist's communication or how honest or not honest they've been, because I don't really know. You know, I know a lot of people are very upset and they say, like, these people have been making stuff up. They've been evasive. They've been kind of lying or hiding things from us. Maybe, maybe not, right? Like, we're not backers of this, so I'm not, like, engaged with that. But I do know the shipping situation has had a big impact here. And it's probably a combination of poor planning and poor communication. (laughs) But... um, I'm surprised this hasn't happened more. Like I know some companies have asked for a little more money for shipping. They've been pretty clear about that when they need it. Um, but it's like people who ran Kickstarters like late 2019, early 2020. And then now they're trying to ship it right now. Those costs are coming in double, triple what they thought they'd be. And that can destroy a small company. That said, that small company should have planned for that. and Maybe not had such tight margins that it wouldn't happen. So I don't know who's in the right here, but I know it's a big thing that's ongoing. It's a problem. It's the, They're the number one listed company right now on BoardGameGeek because people are just like, what's going on? How are we going to do this? To the point where Quartermaster Logistics had to put out a press release and say like, hey, this is complicated. We're working on it. We're trying to help them out. But, you know, it's it's a pain in the butt. Wow. Yeah, I feel bad for anyone who's waiting for their game there. You know, these... There's so much to say about this. I think over the years, we've talked about Kickstarter so much because when we got into gaming, Kickstarter was kind of brand new. I think like I think one of the earliest games I can remember was like Alien Frontiers and all the problems that that had as well. And it kind of evolved and we all kind of evolved with it and went along with it in some cases. <laughs> and now we're obviously we're at a point where... I don't know. I mean, I, I, I maybe we're looking at another shift. May, maybe this is, maybe this is, maybe this is the bubble that everyone always predicted, right? Everyone always said that you know Kickstarter was going to have all these bad campaigns, all these things that wouldn't deliver. This one ma- mammoth kind of game that just fell apart, and just that never seemed to happen. Although I, I do think there's been a couple of games over the years for a couple of people that did not deliver, but this is happening everywhere now with the shipping. And the idea that a company can say that the estimated shipping time is like a year and then it becomes two years or three years. And then at that point, the shipping is astronomically higher than what they initially planned for two years prior. So I think we're going to see that a lot more happening across the board. And again, this goes back to this weird and 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 again, I haven't looked back. We did look we did a deep dive on this several times about Kickstarter you're not guaranteed no. the game, yeah. right? Like you're back you're backing the project, but the reward is just you know, this is one of those kind of legal ways they kind of get around a bunch of things. So, they don't technically have to even send you a game, yeah. which is and Kickstarter a thing. doesn't care because they've covered their own butts they don't pretty care. thoroughly. They yeah. already made their no, money, it's, man. It's, it's, they've made it very clear. Like, you're investing in a thing. If that thing doesn't come through, that's what investment is. Investments fail all the time. Yes. Um, and, that, you know, like, looking at the campaign, it was supposed to ship to backers two years ago. 
So this is probably a big part of their problem is they got so far behind. And then when it's finally ready to ship, it's, you know, the cost has gone up dramatically from where it was at the end of 2020. You know, there's no way for them to have known that was going to happen, but they were also super late. So like what happened? Um, Supply chain happened is what. So I expect to see more of this, honestly. I, I don't. We've been talking about this for a while. I'm not surprised at all. It sucks. And if you are in on this and you've backed this campaign or any of their other campaigns, because they've had a few since, I'm sorry. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, but I, I would imagine this will happen a few more times. I mean, Marvel Zombies yeah. is the perfect example yeah, yeah. of this as well. So, and I and I think that, and again, I'm, I'm speculating here. I have no information sure. on this, but... When Simon came out with Dune, at least the announcement, and they're like, oh, the miniatures are going to be like super mini because obviously they want to fit them on the map. But I also think that they were yeah, thinking about shipping as well. I, I, I have to I have to imagine. So we, we're seeing this often. We're going to continue to see this. I don't know. Is this the thing that finally sinks Kickstarter? Again, the only thing that – and I do feel for the publisher here and the designer and everybody else who's trying to make this happen – is the fact that when you back a Kickstarter, again, like in this case especially, you're giving someone money two, three years in advance. That's a lot, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm sorry. It's just it's a it's an investment. Like you say, an investment on their on your side, but you're not getting like some outrageous deal. This is not a stock that you're buying low and waiting until it goes high. You're you're, you're what are you saving? Ten dollars maybe or five dollars now without the shipping. You're not saving anything, but you're giving someone money two, three years in advance for a board game that you could just wait. Now these days, especially, it's going to show up in the store at a convention almost at the same time at which backers yep. are going to receive it. So even that whole idea that like you were going to get the game six months, a year in advance before it even hits the market, that's gone too. So all the all these kind of precious precious kind of privileges that came along with kickstarter are kind of blown out of the water so i don't know i don't know why this is even a value assessment anymore but we'll still back i guess because we want to help those designers get those games out and we want to get those games quick but yeah this is yeah this this might be a trend or yeah turning into that all right uh so that that was the the down thing the other thing that came up in the last week oh and this actually happened last week before we recorded. So it's been eight days, nine days. And when you listen to this, maybe two weeks since uh, this happened. But <laughs> I will tell you that when the Dice Tower Awards were announced during the Summer Spectacular last Thursday, the only way to find out who won was to watch the hour long video and to scrub through it, um, which we are perfectly capable of doing, but we didn't have time to do it between when it happened and like the next day when we recorded. But I mean, come on guys, (laughs) put out a press release, update your website, something. Uh, So we're pulling this list from Reddit. Uh, Tiger temper on Reddit posted the winners of the 15th annual dice tower awards, because that is the only place I could find it on the whole wide internet, other than watching a 60 to 90 minute video. Um, So just, just want to put that out there. If you're listening, if you're part of the Dice Tower, <laughs> put up a press release. Update your website. Come on. Just just do it. Well, at the very least, I mean, they, they incorporate so many people from the industry to, to vote. 
and they do all the presentation of the awards, which is great because it's their thing. We're happy to kind of participate, but obviously we'd like to support them and obviously promote it. And, you know, there's, there's, there's some effort going into there. So we just like to be able to see and be able to play along with the, yeah, the rest just of the send class. us a list of the winners and embargo it. Just say, here's the winners. Don't mention anything until after X. Totally fine. Yeah. We would. Yeah, don't really. Yeah. Don't release it. So, yeah. anywho, Dice Tower Awards. We're not going to go through every single category because they have like 15 categories. But uh, the big <laughs> winner of the night was, of course, Arc Nova. I think won three or four awards. Uh-huh. Um, game of the Year, Strategy Game of the Year. Um, let's see. Also, Best New Designer, which makes sense because that's mm-hmm. the first game. <laughs> so, Game of the Year from a brand new designer, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones that I found interesting, best small publisher went to, uh, the publisher of canvas, which was just a really mm-hmm. solid, amazing, beautiful production. Um, and that was a really, really tough category. There's a lot of big games and a lot of big publishers there. hundred yeah, percent. Uh, best game expansion mm-hmm. was to the one that I'm pretty sure both of us voted for lost ruins of Arnak expedition leaders. Absolutely should have won that. So thank you for everybody who agreed with us in the voting. Um, best production <laughs> values, Ankh, Gods of Egypt, which, I mean, yeah, I guess. Game on game, but, <laughs> man. Um, Canvas won a bunch of awards, though. Like, we mentioned that they won sure. uh, Best Small Publisher, but they also won for Best Game Artwork, which absolutely... Mm-hmm. Which was also, again, another category that was yeah. highly contested. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Best Game Artwork in 2022. Lots of good games there. Mm-hmm. Um and then also best welcoming game, which is I think previously they called this family game, and before that gateway game, whatever. It's it's a game for everybody, <laughs> um, and, and so it beat out <laughs> Cascadia, which is was my pick for this category. It also beat out Seven Wonders Architects, which is sure. a very good welcoming game. So, yeah, lots mm-hmm. of good games. Uh, Arc Nova, obviously at the top of the list. This is an hour twenty twenty two consideration because it wasn't available in the u.s until 2022 but it came out at Essen last year sure. so yeah no it's a great idea i also want to mention real quick too best game theming yeah uh, final girl which is a really cool idea that's almost kind of it's like one of those those themes those ideas that come out and you're like damn it <laughs> why did i think of that <laughs> And it's a really, it's a really interesting, you know, game platform. I know you're familiar with the kind of mechanics there, but that was on Kickstarter and it was just super unique. And again, there was a lot of good stuff that year as well. So yeah, yeah. fun stuff. All right. So that's everything that's happening in the industry. Anthony, let's talk about the most important thing. What happened with our friends? What's our right. question, of the week? question of the week this week? Uh, because we are talking about the dice tower awards. And last week we talked about the spiel awards. I asked everybody, what's your game of the year so far for 2022? Um, mm-hmm. We kind of mentioned this last week, maybe the week before how 2022 so far, there's nothing really amazing that has jumped out. It's been, you know, if we're counting sure. Arc Nova as a 2021 game, there's really not a big heavy hitter yet this year at all. So yeah. I don't know what our game of the year is going to be because at this point, everything like we haven't played a lot of it, but what we have played, you're like, it's all fine, I guess. Um, so we <laughs> asked everybody else, what is your game of the year so far? 
so Kenny yes. said, having not played a ton of them yet, as with us, uh, I think that Return to Dark Tower is my favorite so far. And I think a couple people mentioned Return to Dark Tower, and you would ask them, I think this is a good question. Were you an old school fan first, or do you just like the game for itself? Yes. And it's it's a hard one, right? Like, is it the game actually good, or is it just nostalgia? And in this case, Kenny said, never played the original growing up, only familiar with it and its legendary reputation. So generally just likes the game a lot, which I think is interesting. That's high praise that it, it was nostalgia that made you buy that game, although I'm, I'm sure it lent some eyeballs to the campaign. But I'm really glad that that worked out because I would hate if, you know, something that I cherished as, as a childhood kind of memory, you know, was like, hey, kids, buy the new version of this. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, I, I, I you know, again, I had my finger on the trigger there. I just, I, when they, it just, it was the app. The app just did me in. I just, yeah. But they're going to, there's a second, like a, a second reprinting campaign or something that yep. they're going to release. So you'll have a, you'll have a second shot at it if, yeah. if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you want to pick it up, you certainly have a chance. Uh, so mm-hmm. other answers. We had several people say Ark Nova. Good friend of the show, Tim said Ark Nova. Sorry to say that it lived up to the hype. You guys should play it some more. <laughs> um, we will. We will play it some more. I, I've played it. And solo, I like it. Yeah, I do. I think it's a good game. Um, yeah, and I, as it and as I said to Tim too, I, I think that this game is going to be or has potential to be like one of those kind of modern day classics, kind of like terraforming Mars. So I don't think this is leaving the table anytime soon. I did recently see it for like half mm-hmm. off somewhere, and I was just like kind of shocked by that. But I, I think again because games have such a short life or shelf span, so to speak that you gotta you gotta catch catch the game while it's hot. So I think they're trying to get those games out there as soon as possible yeah. for Gen Con. Yeah. Hits. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um yeah and so Ark Nova had a bunch of people like Iger's also mentioned it. Steve also mentioned it. Which makes sense. Honestly yeah. if you ask me right now what my game of the year was, it's probably Ark Nova, but it and I gave it a buy, but it was like a soft buy. It's not like it's not sure. my game of the year last year was like just hit me in the stomach like oh my gosh i love this this year i'm like all right Ark Nova's fine that's funny (laughs) well i I think the funny part it wasn't really you know not to make fun of the game at all because we both liked the game i I gave it a high play i know you gave it a buy was the fact that there was just so much hype around it that the hype was funny not that the game was bad but the hype was funny so (laughs) um Mm -hmm. all right tom mentions carnegie which uh I actually went and tracked down a retail copy of this because I wanted to play it. And, you know, I, I think you mentioned here on Facebook, regret not backing the Kickstarter. So do I, because <laughs> I have the basic version now and I don't want to pay $170 for the Kickstarter version. See, I, I can't, I can't do it. Like I saw like the pictures released about it and supposedly it was already punched and in the containers and everything. And I, you know, I did this, trying to remember what game it was what was the pre trying to think what game it was but when they released like the super deluxe version of the game you're like this is kind of ridiculous it's super deluxe and then they're like and here's the retail version you're like so yeah i i I just can't buy i i've seen too much i can't go back man i can't go back (laughs) i wish i never saw the super deluxe version actual like live photos and it was only like 70 dollars i can't like and 
the retail on the main one is also 70. It's tough. Yeah, no. It's a good game. I like <laughs> I it a lot. Can't... And I played it a lot on Board Game Arena in the last year. So I wish I had backed it. I was buying a house at the time, so I couldn't do it, but I had to go I had to pick it up. So that's this is probably my number two for the year at the point at this point. Sure. Um a couple okay. other mentions we have kind of thrown in here. We have uh Splinterlands, Planet Unknown, mm-hmm. and then Mike mentions a GMT game that I have not had a chance to play or even seen, Into the Woods, uh, which is a mm. civil war game, I believe. So lots of good cool. stuff. I it's been a weird year. I think a lot of stuff so far this year has been like this came out, you know. From Kickstarter, this is when it <laughs> shipped. You know, we've talked about Kickstarter a lot lately. There hasn't been a lot of like original retail releases so far this year. Um, okay, we'll see more at Gen Con and Essen, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I know I know I have friends back in Pittsburgh who are really loving Wonderland's War. I know neither one of us played that. Foundations sure. of Rome shipped this year. A lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Libertalia, Winds of Galecrest. A lot of people like that. I didn't like it as much. So there's stuff out there that people really dig, but for us, it's, I don't know, the list is kind of wavering. Yeah. I mean, it's before the convention season. So a lot of those games were gigantic plastic Mm -hmm. Kickstarters. So you really had to go all in on those if you were going to back them and get them to the table. So I'm glad some of them, so many of them worked out Mm because yeah, that was the thing. All right, so that's everything that's happening with everyone out there. If you'd like to join us on all the questions of the week, they're there on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Jeez, we're, we're pretty much everywhere that you listen to podcasts, everywhere that you post on your social medias, and, of course, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. While you're kind of searching around or whatever podcast player you're using, we really would appreciate if you would drop, drop us a review. It's been quite some time since we've asked. And it just helps us get, you know, up in the rating so more people realize that there is, like, amazing board gaming out there. So drop us a review and drop us a note about the question of the week. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's going on with everybody out there. Let's talk about the games that we want to get to the table so that hopefully, eventually, they'll be our game of the year at some point. What do you have up for us this week? So, uh... The folks behind CGE, who we're going to talk about next week a little bit more in detail, um, they already announced their big fall release. And we're like, okay, Starship Captains. That looks great. It's Star Trek, the board game, the Euro. And then they came out and they're like, actually, we have another one. Uh, Deal with the (laughs) Devil, which is interesting for several reasons. One, it's a new game from Mattis Kotri, the designer of Alchemists, which came out in 2014 and so far is his only game. So eight years later, he has a new game for us. Uh, Second, (laughs) it is four players only. They're not messing around. Oh, wow. Player counts here. You play with four. You do not play. Yeah, I love that. I've been asking the industry for that forever. Like you don't have to say, I mean, you could play with many different numbers, but I can't tell you that's the one thing about board game that drives me crazier than anything else. Like, you could play this from one to six players. I'm like, nope. <laughs> I'm just like, what is the ideal play count? Because I'm going to play it once. If I don't like it. I'm not playing it again. And they're like, eh, 
one to six. I'm like, ah, you guys are the worst. So I love yes. it. This is yeah, great. No, I love it. It's, it's, it sounds really interesting. And the reason it sounds so interesting is it's a hidden role game, a deduction game. But instead of one person being hidden and other people trying to find them, all uh, most of them, right? Fury of Dracula and all those. You have three hidden roles and one who's not hidden and two opposing paths. So you you can be the mortals, you can be cultists, you can be the devil. Everybody's asymmetrical and everybody's playing with different goals throughout the game. Um, there's a, a blind trading phase where players can offer resources in exchange for money from other players. The devil can tempt mortals with goods and different things. Uh, the cultists is much more likely to sell their soul <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, wow. And then, you know, this again, this comes from the designer of Alchemist, so we should not be surprised that there's an app involved to manage all this complexity. Oh, if boy. you're not an app gamer, this is probably <laughs> not going to be for you, but Alchemists was brilliant and uh, very complex, uh, but a brilliant game. Right. So I'm really, really, really excited to see how this works. It's going to be complex. It's going to okay. be hard to get to the table. It's probably going to make a bunch of people really mad, but those <laughs> imperfect, brilliant, complicated, messy games are what those are what I show up to this podcast every week for. I'm like, give me the weird stuff. Give wow. me the broken stuff. Give me the things that just like <laughs> self implode because they have too much going on, but in a, in a good way. Um, I, I want to see how this works. And it's coming from CGE who, you know, they don't tend to publish games that don't work. So I'm sure it works. That's true. So That's this one's coming true. out at Essen. They're going to have previews at Gen Con. If you want to check it out, I think all the, like, if you want to sign up for it, it's already all full, but you can like, wander by and see how it plays from a distance uh yeah De- mm. deal with the devil coming out this year check it out wow yeah no i mean cge is i i think there's just some companies that you expect certain things from and there's just there's a vibe for cge and like you said if this was anywhere else i would just not even take a look a second time but between the actual player count that you must play at and CGE, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I'll, I'll try this out. All right, so a bit of news slash new game that's coming out. We didn't mention it on our Gen Con preview because it's a little bit of a different spirit uh. altogether. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, I did, yeah, I did a thing. Uh, Horizons of Spirit Island. Island spirits join forces using elemental powers to defend their home from invaders. If this sounds familiar, not a surprise, right? Spirit Island, but Spirit Island for Target. So (laughs) they had a very strange, interesting, tongue-in-cheek, I I don't even know what you would call it, like mea copa? I, I mean, they were like, hey, we don't do these kind of big box stores. We are unique individualistic kind of publisher with a very extreme kind of deep dive. And and they're just like, nope, fooled you. This is actually coming out for Target. I'm like, all right. So basically what this is, is a three player or one to three players, as we just, just got done talking about, one to three player Spirit Island version for Target for, again, I guess we could say general audience. And it seems 
by this announcement from Greater Than Games that a, I guess, the slimmed down version of Gloomhaven was it Jaws of the Lion? Yep. Is, am I correct on that? Am I? I did not right. play it. Okay, <laughs> you played that did, right, yeah. Jaws of the Lion. And did shockingly that worked? It seemed to work it for a lot really of people. Well. Right? Uh, I think it's the only time I can think of where a, a boiled down version of a big complex game actually worked. But it worked, so I could see why Target wants to go back to that. Well, it's pretty crazy because I mean, if there was any, you know, if there was any kind of like gamble or risk, it's like Gloomhaven, which is like the biggest, more at least one of the biggest box games of all time. And they're like for kids, for families, for young people, for <laughs> non gamers, and, and it, you know, I was like, yeah, this is gonna, this is gonna blow up in their face, and it's gonna be like a buck in the the clearance bin. But no, it it did quite well. Everyone loved it. Still have not played it. And so they, I, I guess, they went to the well and they said, what else is super complex that everyone really likes? And of course, that's Spirit Island. And yeah, so they are coming back with Spirit Island, and it's a little different than what we're used to. Instead of the individual island parts that are kind of placed together, it features a double side game board with a streamlined setup, punch board components. So you're not going to get all the kind of fun components that you're used to getting with Spirit Island, which is kind of the plastic pieces of the invaders and the wood pieces of the Dahan. The indigenous people for the island, you're actually just going to get punch pieces, which is not the end of the world because I'm sure that's pretty expensive as far as putting the game together. And obviously you're going to get your spirits that come along with this game. So you're going to get three spirits in the game and the components here and the expansion is going to be able to uh, play with other, you know, spirit island stuff that you may already purchased. So pretty cool lighter easier versions of spirits but nonetheless they are actual real spirits that play into the game same kind of setup they have that main card that has the tokens on it that you'll reveal in order to gain energy and cards throughout the game you have your own deck of cards that you'll play as a co-op with other players at the table in order to push back the invaders throughout the game now will this be good i hope so it's got a little bit of a different look, but not crazy. Some people have criticized the cover. I don't see necessarily any problem with it. It is, again, the general game that we've known and come to love, the Cooperative Settler Destruction <laughs> Strategy Game. So I actually have high hopes for this. I don't know how this is going to play. And I think, Anthony, you and I have talked about this a lot, about mechanics, right? And how like doing one mechanic over and over kind of is cognitively sustainable for most audiences so if you you know if you're moving if you're rolling and moving or moving you're playing cards and hitting things okay but i do wonder how the general audience is going to feel about an area control game with co-op elements that plays cards that are synergetic with each other i don't know i wonder but I don't know. What do yeah, you think? I, I don't know. I'm I'm not as optimistic about this one working like Jaws of the Lion. Because Jaws of the Lion, mm. Gloomhaven yeah. already walks you through what to do. There's just a lot to keep in your head. So Isaac just reduced the number of things to keep in your head, 
right? Made it more accessible. They put the map in the book. It was pretty straightforward. You just go through the list of things to do and then you do it. Spirit Island is a game about keeping a lot of things in your head at once. And even if you reduce the number of things, you put it all on a static board, you make the spirits much simpler, you still have to keep a lot of things in your head at once. So I, I do wonder how the average gamer who just stumbles upon kind of a cute, funny, cartoony looking cover in Target is going to be like, yeah, I could do this. Uh, and, you know, I haven't seen the reduced rules. I haven't seen the reduced spirits yet, but I'm, I'm a little concerned that this one, I don't know, people might have a little bit of kickback on this one compared to like Jaws of the Lion. I don't know if this game is quite as ripe for the, mm. the boiling down. Yeah, I mean, even though the spirits might be a little bit more manageable as far as their techniques and strategies are concerned, it does seem or at least look graphically to be somewhat as dynamic. I won't use the word complex, but as dynamic as the other games where you do have cards that based upon their symbols are going to have triggering elements to it. And the island is is relatively the standard kind of three person island here. So I don't know. I'm I'm. I'm really on the fence about this as far as, you know, success or failure on this. I have, I'm have hopes for this. I, I can't imagine somebody who doesn't own spirit Island yet picking this up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like you'll pick it up because you want more spirits and maybe target has a sale and you're like, cool, three new spirits done, like cheaper than an expansion. But I don't know if this is the game that you can actually sit down with the family where I don't think, Again, we'll have to get this to the table. It doesn't seem to be, at least in gameplay-wise, radically different than Spirit Island other than easier spirits. So, yeah, I agree. All right, so, yeah, take a look at it. uh, Check it out. It's going to be pretty hot. And, again, maybe it'll be a game that's at your friend's house, and you can actually be like, ha-ha, I know how to play all (laughs) those things. Let me explain to you how many play all the spirits here. So, yeah. The Horizons of Spirit Island. All right, so that's all the games we want to hit the table. Anthony, we actually got some games to the table. Uh, Let's let everyone know about those games. And if those games are a buy and they should run out to, well, maybe not Target, but they should run out to their friendly local game store and pick those games up because Kickstarter is way too delayed. If those games are played, they should sit down and play them. If those games are dodged, they should avoid them. Or if those games are, in fact, the dreaded burn, and yeah, let's not do that. So what do you All have right. for us? So this week? I had a chance to play the Guild of Merchant Explorers. I teased this a little bit last week and it it caught my attention because people are saying it's like rolling right ish mechanically, but with a board and different mechanics, which is good. Um, and it's designed by Matthew Dunstan and Brett Gilbert, who worked together on Elysium. Um, Dunstan worked on Pioneer Days, Chocolate Factory, Monumental. And Gilbert has worked on Great Plains and Professor Evil and Pyramids, like like a lot of good games between the two of them. And this game is all about exploring these big open maps of kind of ambiguous locations, right? It's not real world locations. It's some kind of fantasy world that you're in. Um, And so how it works is you have a a deck of terrain cards. You're going to shuffle those up. You're going to reveal them one at a time. And each card is going to tell all the players what to do. It's certain terrain that they can go on or certain bonuses that they can take. There is a special card that will allow them to take a like an action card, basically, that is unique to them. 
that gives them like extra places to put explorers. And so the explorers are little cubes. You place them on different hexes on your map. And at the end of each round of the game, which there are four, you are going to take all your cubes off, but anything you placed on the map that's permanent, so trading posts and cities and towers, will stay there. So at the beginning of the game, you're in one location. At the end of the first round, you're maybe in two locations. At the end of the second round, maybe you're in four or five locations. And so you keep spreading out. And there's different types of terrain. Some of these terrains have different coins on them that you can pick up. Others have like bonuses that you can pick up. There's different sizes of terrains, like uh, like a group of terrain together can give you different bonuses. There's treasure locations on the map that if you explore, you get to you place a treasure token down there and you draw a treasure card. In the future, you cannot go back there for more treasure because you already found it, right? So like thematically, you're sending out different groups of explorers on these expeditions to look for things in the ocean and these new lands that you've been to. And, you know, it's Vera, it's very Terra Incognita, but it's also not really Earth. So, like, it's not, I wouldn't say it's problematic in that way, except it's just very bland, right? <laughs> they've, they've removed any sense of theme from it to ensure that there's no issue there, thematically speaking. But I don't think it matters because the, the fun part is spreading out, leaving permanent bases, spreading out some more, leaving permanent bases, spreading out some more, leaving permanent bases, right? Like any of these exploration games, it could work perfectly well in space. I don't really think it matters in this case because it's fairly generic. It's a tremendous amount of fun, though, right? Um, People compare it to roll and write games because it has that mechanic where something flips over or something rolls, whatever, and everybody does the same thing and you just see who does it the most efficiently. But it's different because there are elements that are unique to each player, which you don't always have in roll and writes. And there are different types of maps. So there's a bunch of different maps in the box. So everybody can have their own personal map board, which is going to be different, which means it's not like Karuba where you could have all the players take the same action theoretically and end up in the exact same place. That never happens, but it could happen. This game, it won't happen because you're going to have different things that you're going towards. Um, I really, really enjoyed this a lot. It it was something that I sh- I saw pop up on, and I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody had a you know overlooked games of the last year, and this was on that list. And so I was like, I'm going to try this out because it seems like something up my alley. And I really, really enjoyed it. So... Uh, the Guild of Merchant Explorers for me is a buy. I If you're going to be at Gen Con, track it down, check it out. It's from AEG. They'll almost certainly have copies of it available. Um, I think you can still find it online too. This came out early July, so it's in retail now. You can pick it up. It's on Amazon right now. But yeah, if you dig that kind of game, if you like rolling rights, flipping rights, if you like Tiny Towns, for example, that's another like, non-roll and write, roll and write type of game. Um, this is super, super up your alley. I think you'll dig it. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed it a lot. And honestly, like moving away from this genre of game in recent years a little bit because they've just become very samey. This one kind of pulls me back of like, oh, this is creative and interesting. And I can even see cool new things you could do from this, like moving beyond this, like either expansions to this game or other games that kind of take a similar mechanic and build on it. So I'm very excited about that. Guild of Merchant Explorers. Check it out. Nice. Yeah, AG AG puts out a lot of 
really cool, different kind of light to medium weight games. And they're often so different and they're often so like short, you know, 45 minutes, an hour kind of games that I always feel like a lot of them get lost. Like AEG always has like their one big game, like, hey, it's another card building game. It's got 25 expansions to it and it's like 300 pounds. And like, and then we have like five other cool games that no one's ever going to see. So this is really great. I'm great that the you gave this some attention because yeah, there are a lot of their games. I, get lost. I feel like this, this game great. could very easily get lost because I had not even heard of it, and it has apparently been out for about a month now. So, uh, if you even remotely think that sounds interesting, go check it out so that it doesn't disappear. Because I want expansions <laughs> for this. I think it has a lot of good potential for expansion. So, like, when's a rolling right? Not a rolling yes. right? It would be this. <laughs> All right. All right, Anthony, what else do you have? All right, for us so the week? second one is a game that you and I played together, so we can both talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the mm-hmm. follow-up to Villagers, which we both loved. It ended up on our Game of the Year list uh, in the year that it came out. Absolutely. From Haken Garter. This one is Streets, which, you know, the perfect time to talk about it because this game came out not too long ago. Moon has been on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I think it's still on Kickstarter right now. Yes. <laughs> Somehow. Um a couple, yeah, more days. couple more days. And yeah. so this is the second game in the trilogy, Streets. Uh, in this game, you are placing tiles into a shared tableau, uh, building different streets. And it, it's very simple how the game works. You're going to have a hand of three tiles at any given point in the game. And when it's your turn, you're going to place one of these tiles down in one of the available streets. Any given street can only have five buildings in it. So once you reach five, you can't place any more. It remains open until the ends are closed off, which means there's streets that move in different directions, perpendicular. Uh, and when you place a building, you're going to place your ownership token on it. Every building comes with different types of people. Uh, so they'll have parents or hipsters or business people. And these come from a shared pool. And they're, they're going to help you score points. When the street gets closed off, so you're putting out different tiles and you're marking them as your own and they have scoring objectives on them. They don't do anything until it gets closed off, right? So you could have a street of five tiles and I could own two and you, Chris, could own two and somebody else could own one. And we're all going to score those, but only when it gets closed off. And so finally, when somebody closes that street off, you're going to go through, you're going to score every tile. You're going to see what y'all get. Uh, You get money. That's the point of the game. So it's a big pile of little wooden money pieces, which I love. And you're going to figure it all out, right? Like just run through and figure out the different scoring mechanics. We don't need to go through what those are here. The different people that are on those buildings are going to stand up now and they're going to move to other tiles in the tableau in open streets. So if there are no open streets, they stay standing up. They have FOMO what the game calls it and they will wait until another open building pops up so many places a tile that they can move to but if there are buildings that they can move to the owner of the original building will move them there and hopefully set themselves up for more points and that's basically it you just keep doing that and you rotate through until all the tiles are placed and then you figure out who has the most money very simple. The most complicated part is keeping track of the different scoring mechanics on the tiles themselves. 
Um, the game itself can be played in like 45 minutes. Uh, it's clever. It's quick. It's accessible. All the reasons we loved villagers, but with tiles instead of cards, <laughs> right? It's true. Yeah, this is a a really interesting follow up because it's a it's a much different mechanic than we were used to as far as the set collection was concerned. So I was excited because I love that kind of general tableau building, and anytime you can move from cards to tiles i'm solidly in here and sinister fish games as we talked about previously with streets they do such a good job to pack so much game in such a tiny box which i greatly appreciate and even though it's in a very small box there's no quality sacrifice the artwork is gorgeous the graphic design is great the because you back the kickstarter we got all the fancy meeples that come along with it even the bag of money actually has the giant dollar symbol on it. And this is the thing about Sinister of Fish games, at least the first two, which I've always really appreciated, is they could have they could have done just junk money, or they could have went the opposite way, which most companies are doing these days, and like metal money, you're like, oh god, that's spend like thirty, forty dollars for like a couple of, of, of coins. They go wood money. And the, the wood money with the little kind of a magnetic case that was in the first one was great. And this one's even better. You actually got like the like the dollar bills and all the different denominations. And again, they're great. Everything is great in this game as far as the production is concerned. The gameplay is a lot lighter than I thought as far as, you know, starting the game out. Because as you said, like it looks like an overwhelming game because of all the symbology and the meeples. And you're not really sure how they're going to interact, as you mentioned, how they score and they get up and they go to the different places. And obviously you could play solo or you could play with a number of players. Now, if you play, again, best according to BoardGameGeek with three to four players, there's a lot more interaction and the dynamics, kind of how the people split up and where they go and why they go to certain areas. That being said, primarily it's you got a couple of tiles in your hand. You're going to play one of those tiles and then pick up a new tile and most tiles, in my in my experience, does something with the other tiles that you've already placed or can benefit from other tiles. So it's not like you're going to have to have a deep knowledge and appreciation of all the different dynamics. Most of them are going to work regardless. It's just a matter of which one's going to work best for you at that particular time and place. And right. then you just play it. So... I enjoy that. I enjoy the idea that you do have options in your hand. All the options work. I think, Anthony, I think you mentioned this all the time that one of the worst times in gaming for you or playing a game for you is when you have nothing to do in a turn or it's a throwaway turn or you can't, you just can't do anything. And I, and I also agree with that as well. There always felt like there was something I could do. Everything's going to score or benefit later on. So I like that. I like the fact that it was so kind of engaging as far as the people stuck around and they did something. So whether your tile scored a lot, drew a lot of attention or potential attention in the future was a lot of fun. And the the buildings were dynamic and fun and, and somewhat different. The expansion kind of opens things up, especially with the asymmetrical powers that come into play, which again, based on that particular scenario, works for you or against you throughout the, the gameplay. 
it's a great game. I, I'm really happy with this game. This game's a buy for me. I'm glad I picked this game up. This game needs more table time. I think Villagers was one of those games where once we played it, we just kept wanting to play it. Once I played Streets, I wanted to play it again, but I, I wasn't necessarily needed to. So I think Villagers is still the best of these two games, but Streets, definitely a, a good, uh, I guess, spiritual sequel, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, I think I agree with all that. I think what the designer set out to do, they did effectively in this game. It's just, it's not, sure. they're not biting off as much as Villagers. Um, and yes. it looks like not as much as Moon either, which looks to be more complex in the, in I said complex, but more like Villagers, right? Like in terms of the tableau building. Um, but I enjoy it too. Like it's, it's fun. It's engaging. It's quick. It's really quick. And it, it doesn't ask mm-hmm. you to do too much. So yeah, like it, it, it yeah. does a lot of really interesting things. Yeah, if you pick up the expansion, there's just some different play modes where different symbols come into play. And we already mentioned the asymmetrical starting player powers, but a lot of fun. Great game. Definitely, definitely, absolutely, at the very least, play it because you'll probably pick it up and buy it. Yep. That's Streets. All right, so that's everything that's hitting our table. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about one of the best designers of all time, our good friend, as I know yours, Martin Wallace. Martin Wallace, obviously best known for all of his wonderful production of games, but also who was a founder for uh, Warfrog, Treefrog games way back in the day. There's stories that go along with that. You could probably check back on our previous episodes. He was originally from the U.S. in Manchester, England, and then he's currently living in Australia with a, with a little bit of a stint in New Zealand. And I, and that's pretty much where we, you know, came into this kind of conversation way back in the day with tree fog games and everything that they were trying to produce and how hard it was to get those games because coming from Martin Wallace, it was a must play situation because he has such a wonderful catalog of games and very different too. And again, like, like we talked about earlier, Anthony, there's so many games that kind of, get overlooked i feel like martin wallace with one exception which we will certainly talk about has been overlooked for quite some time despite having some of the best games absolutely yeah like there's a lot of putting this list together i was like oh there's a lot of really good stuff on here (laughs) like um Mm -hmm. yeah no it's it's surprising and just i feel like all these best designers we talk about them you know when we do these features a lot they have a habit of iterating on their past designs right and working with other people and mm-hmm. just making things better and not just being like yeah it is what it is play it or don't but like no 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 that's a good idea how can i improve on it using things people have been doing lately um and so we're going to see that a lot on this list all right well speaking of list anthony what's our number 10, number 10? is the reimplementation of another game later on the list uh railways of the world so railways of the world is a railroad game. It was originally released as Railroad Tycoon. Um, and Martin Wallace worked with Glenn Drover on this of Age of Empires fame. So it's not a pure Martin Wallace game, but it's based on a Martin Wallace game and he worked on it. So we're going to count it. And it has many, many expansions that have come out over the years, including there's a card game, there's Railways Express, there's Railways of Nippon, there's Railways of Europe a bunch of different games. But the basic idea is you're placing different routes on the map. You're trying to move goods back and forth between these different cities. 
it works very seamlessly. It's very smooth. You can also play it on Board Game Arena if you really want to get a sense of Martin Wallace's train games, of which he's done many. Um, this one stuck around as a classic. It kind of comes and goes in and out of print, but when it is in print, people pick it up. So, number 10, Railways of the World. All right, our number nine is a new release and pretty much well-known for all the little fun PC games out there. This is Anno 1800, released in 2020. Uh, this game is all about shipping and producing luxury goods. And again, this is one of those lighter version of his games. I don't think any of his games are necessarily light, so to speak. It kind of weighs in about a three, so to speak. <laughs> but... Basically, throughout this game, you are crafting all of these different luxury goods by building up your own tableau with these fantastical uh, companies from back in the day. Very kind of historically relevant, but also exploring uh, new resources that you can pick up to be able to produce more and different products throughout and trying to match and score with all of the higher ups as far as what products and resources they're looking to collect. Again, not one of his kind of like heavier, heavier games, but it fits nicely into that medium weight Euro where you want to build up an awesome tableau of machines from back in the day and produce some wonderful production goods from all of these different factories and shipping lines. That's Anno 1800. Right, number eight is a bit of a departure. This is three different games, but they all use the same basic mechanics. Again, Martin Wallace loves to iterate. Uh, first up, we have A Few Acres of Snow, which is a two-player-only deck-building game about the French and English vying for control of North America, specifically Quebec. Then he released Mythotopia, which came out three years later. This is a taking the same deck-building mechanics and expanding it to four players and a mythological setting. Um, all of these are kind of territory-building, area-control type of games using cards. And then A Handful of Stars takes Mythotopia, again three years later, and puts it into space. So it's a trilogy of, people call it the Few Acres of Snow trilogy, because these games are all using the same mechanics, right? And they're just kind of iterating on them and putting them in different themes and kind of playing with the different ways in which those themes would kind of draw out the mechanics. They do play very differently. People tend to like A Few Acres of Snow a little bit better as a two-player game, but a handful of stars really does kind of bring it all together as the ultimate, I guess, version of this mechanic. Uh, if you really want to see an interesting area control-based deck-building game from Martin Wallace, handful of stars, or if you want a two-player version, a few acres of snow, or if you want the mythological version, Mythotopia. It's at number eight. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 a that's a perfect way of talking yes. about all this. <laughs> you know, we'll throw in this genre, we'll throw in that genre. It's fine. No, no, no one will care about that. We got we got something for everybody. Yep. <laughs> well, sp speaking of iterations and all different genres, is our number seven via Nebula. This came out in 2016, and what we're looking at here is something that Martin Wallace is well known for. This is his network and route building, pick up and deliver. So we'll talk about that shortly. But Via Nebula was, again, one of these games that never really got the attention. And the challenge here, and I think this was produced by Space Cowboys, was 
the initial price was way too high. We were talking about, I think, I think at the time it was at least a sixty or seventy dollar game, and then I think because of that price and because it was, I won't say it was lighter necessarily. I mean, it kind of was, but it was more like a a more forgiving train game as far as route building and pickup and deliver situation that I think his hard and true fans didn't pick this up. And this was supposed to be one of those games that introduced a new audience to his games. This did for me. I actually love this game. I picked this game up and it incorporates all of those different kind of elements. But now you're clearing clouds from a meadow of riches in order to build your settlement and pigs are involved because why not? So it's a very imaginative kind of game, but it really is grounded in all of his other train games, which you've probably played. The sad and funny thing about this was, is that at some point, I guess they made a decision to dump the stock. So forever, and I mean, we're talking years. I don't know. And I think I might even mention this at a previous podcast this game was going for like half or less than half off, but it's an amazing game. I don't know why that happened in production. Maybe they produced too much or whatever it was. Via Nebula, you're looking for a network and route building game, but it's a little intimidating, or maybe you can't get everyone to the table. Or again, maybe you're looking at something that you want to be a little more colorful, a little more dynamic as far as gameplay, but definitely a lot shorter. Via Nebula great is your game. Great game. A shame it's overlooked. I wish. I hope he brings it back. And it's cheap. Pick it up, people. I'm telling you. All right. So uh, next up is a game that is not cheap. You can't pick it up. I'm telling you, people. Uh, number six is A Study in Emerald. This is a game. I know. Oh, boy. Uh, this came out in 2013 originally. There's a second edition uh, that was released strictly by Tree Frog Games in 2015. But people generally agree that the first edition is better. Um, this was originally on Kickstarter. And it is a game based on a short story by Neil Gaiman about a mashup between Sherlock Holmes and H.P. Lovecraft. Basically, the old ones have already taken over. And so there's kind of people in the background trying to free mankind. But, you know, all the bad things that are supposed to happen in Cthulhu stories have already happened. And so Sherlock Holmes is trying to solve a murder of one of the old ones. Um the game itself is a deck building game in which you're going to use various cubes that you pick up to bid on the right to draft cards and take control of cities. So it's area control, deck building. And the main mechanic that really makes it different is that you are paired up with somebody throughout the game. You don't necessarily know who they are. <laughs> and you're trying to make sure that that person has the lowest score is going to lose. You're trying to get the highest low score between the pairs of people, right? One of those games, right? But you don't necessarily know who you're working with, at least at first. Um, you'll figure it out as the game goes on, ideally based on how people are act, you know, working. Um, so those secret identities, either a restorationist or a loyalist, based on the current status quo, is going to determine the actions that you take. And that really, really, really throws a wrench into... It's not even that complex of a game, but just that hidden element of it really makes it interesting. So I really wish they would bring this back. Maybe it's a rights thing. Maybe it's Martin Wallace just being like, I don't want to do Kickstarters or anything anymore. Nobody wants to pick this game up. But it, it was weird. It was different. It was messy. The first edition had a very messy board, but it's a game that I miss. I wish I got a chance to play it again, and I'm just not willing to pay $200 to pick it up. Uh, number six, <laughs> A Study in Emerald. 
just like a weird i mentioned weird crazy strange games before this is one of those games absolutely i mean it's cthulhu so it makes a lot of sense all right so moving from that from from the ups and anthony you mentioned this before you like that these weird kind of broken different games so that certainly fits (laughs) it certainly fits in line too all right so moving from the strange and the different is i guess the classic and probably most respected and most known of his games age of steam our number five now Age of Steam from Martin Wallace and all the different editions that came out and will certainly come out in the future is, again, your very typical railroad game. Looks very similar, very basic, very 18 double X. And you are auctioning and bidding uh, throughout the game. But primarily what you're doing, as I mentioned before, with Via Nebula is it's a networking network and route building game. So you're pickup and delivering throughout the game. There's tile placement, there's auctions for turn leaders here, and there is an almost endless number of maps and endless number of love for this game. This is one of his classic games like from back from 2002 and it still gets played. There are cons that are just based around this. Age of Steam, if you're thinking of Martin Wallace, this is probably the game you're thinking yeah, of. Yeah, such a brilliant game. And new maps constantly coming out. You know, tool artwork in the newest edition, too. So, I know. I know. I need crazy, to get right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is definitely yeah. your game. I hear uh, that. All right, next up, we have Brass. We'll just say Brass, but specifically Lancashire. Right? <laughs> this is the original version of Brass from yes. 2007. Um, it has since been re-implemented by Age of Industry and Brass Birmingham, which we might be getting to later. I don't know. Uh, and it is probably until recently the quintessential Martin Wallace game. Until very recently, right? Um, this is a game in which you are... We've talked about this a lot. What makes this game unique? I mean, not unique among games, but unique for players of this type of game is you don't really own anything. You're building things and you're hoping other people use them. You put coal out there, you want people to take it. You put iron out there, you want people to take it. And you're trying to then move your goods to production facilities that allow you to sell them, right? Um, and the original version of this game you know, came out and people really loved it. It was highly regarded. This version, where you put Lancashire in the title, was part of the Kickstarter from a few years ago that brought us Birmingham and it updated the artwork. It updated pretty much everything visual and, you know, tactile about the game. The rules are more or less the same. There's a couple very small tweaks just for clarity, but it is the same game that people have been playing for 15 years. Brass, right? Which, you know, we have, and, and this is the thing I've noticed about this game. People who love this game, still prefer this one over the like re-implementations that have come out later. And it's still ranked number 20 overall, like on the top 100 and board game geek, it's still way up there. Um, But those who never played this maybe have a different opinion. So brass Lancashire, one of the great Euro games of all time, such a great experience. Like it's great that they brought it back that Roxley and all the people who worked on this kind of updated it and made it modern. Uh, you know, I know our friend Dave likes the old artwork, but sorry, Dave, <laughs> disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Lancashire, it's a, it's a great version of the game. 
Yeah, I played the original version with Dave, which had probably the worst production in a board game I had ever seen, down to having like these really thin little plastic little circle chits that you're supposed to play. And it was honestly a, I won't say it was a miserable experience, but yeah. it was a bad experience. And I, and I think in part, as you mentioned, Anthony, it was hard for me as like an ingrained Euro gamer coming into that game and just trying to wrap my brain around the idea that I'm not building an engine for myself. I'm building opportunities for other people to use what I built in order for me to gain revenue and victory points throughout the game, which includes going bankrupt sometimes and taking loans. And it's just like, this, no, what, huh? And like, I guess this is why rich people are rich and I'm not. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm going to take a loan that I can't repay. Like, ah, oh, you'll prefer to pay it later. I'm like, I don't know. But again, the new version of it, the graphic update and the streamlining of some cards and some rules does make a big difference. It is a it is a graphic overload for some people. So I can understand if if the new version is just too much for your eyeballs, completely get that. But that being said, an outstanding game. I'm so glad that they reprinted this. I'm so glad I got a chance to revisit it. I get it now. I'm on board 100%. And this is, again, one of those weird Kickstarters that I did not back, and I kick myself to this day. All right, so going from, again, the traditional to the crazy, wild, and weird that we love so much is our number three game, Australia. Now, Australia with a Z, so I'm not really sure how to pronounce that so much, but let's let's put it this way. Cthulhu's still a thing in the Martin Wallace universe, and following Martin Wallace's A Study in Emerald, it turns out the story continues. So following the Restoration War, the Northern Hemisphere lays in waste, but some of the old ones are still alive, and as humanity tries to rebuild in Australia, so does the old ones come to attack those new lands. Sound wacky? Sound crazy? We're not even there yet, my friend, because the mechanics here are off the chart. So what are you doing here? Well, imagine if Martin Wallace made a Cthulhu game. I know we already talked about it, but here's kind of, for me, the quintessential Martin Wallace game because you are building train routes, okay? And you're doing pick up and deliver, okay? And there's Cthulhu monsters and cultists happening at the same time that you have to defend against. Okay? But not to worry, because there is alternate universe 1930 industrial complex war machine to support you and kick out and attack all of the old gods that are entering the lands. All right, you still with me? Now, here's the funny thing. It works. I I I don't I, I understand. I understand you're saying like, how could this work? This shouldn't work. This doesn't work. It actually works because again, Martin Wallace, I guess obviously genius and also you know clearly insane from Cthulhu monsters. The route building is is streamlined, and it's enough in there that you get a good flavor of what he knows best, and then obviously you have some area control that comes into the game too. But you also have a really cool war game here because as you build units to be able to attack the old ones, certain units do better against 
certain one of the old ones and, and their allies. So, you know, infantry, for example, not a really good unit against Cthulhu, but artillery is. And, you know, it fluctuates throughout. So you're building armies on this same map in order to take out Cthulhu. And again, because it's a Cthulhu game, there's a host of characters that come into play. These different military characters, scientists and such are supporting you. So there really is a way to build up your, not just an army, not just a pick up and deliver, but a story that goes along with this. They recently had a Kickstarter with a bunch of expansions in it. And I think it's going to be probably shown at Gen Con. So again, I know, I get it. I hear you. Just sit down and play it. You're going to be fascinated. I think you're going to enjoy Australia's. <laughs> I still need to play this. Like I, I had completely written it off based on theme. And then you're like, this is great. And I'm like, oh, okay. I got to, I got to get on there. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, you know, like sometimes some things are so bad. Like it's not so bad. It's so good. It's so weird that it's so good. And I, and I think for like a lot of gamers, maybe like, like our friends listening out there, it's one of those situations where you like you like that route building, you like that pick up and deliver, but maybe not a huge game of it. You like that military building, but maybe not a huge game of it. You like that kind of story elements with the asymmetrical players and that you could bring into it, but maybe not a huge element. It has enough of everything. And, you know, Cthulhu. Yeah. Because Cthulhu. Cthulhu. You know. Why not? All right. Yeah. All right. Number two. Yeah. Number two. This is my second favorite <laughs> Martin Wallace game, but very close. I love this game. Uh, London second edition and specifically the second edition because the original version of this game, which came out in 2010 was good. It was very good, but it had a board involved, which was a little confusing, a little wonky. And it required you to keep track of like certain things out in a spatial way that it, it didn't really add anything to the experience. Right. So Martin Wallace comes at it for a second edition for Osprey games back in 2017. And he says, let's get rid of the board. No board, all cards, right? And it works perfectly. This is exactly what the game should be. So there's a tableau of cards that you can choose from, and you're building up your own personal tableau of different buildings in London that you're building out. Um, you can also take certain <laughs> elements of the city, which kind of replaces the map element of the game. And these things are all going to give you different bonuses. They give you, you know, points. They give you abilities. They give you different things that happen when you activate your city right but also when you activate your city you produce pollution or debt right so bad things happen based on the actions that you take and every slot that you have is another piece of potentially bad stuff right the poverty that builds up in your city these little black cubes Right. Um, I said pollution before because, you know, it's 2022. You think pollution, but at the time it's poverty. Right. That's the bad thing that happens as you kind of spread out the city too much. So every column that you build could be potentially bad for you when you run the city, but also gives you more positive stuff. So it's a kind of a press your luck element on top of the hand management element of the game. Right. You're also taking loans that will help you to purchase the things that you need, but you have to pay those back like any good game with loans. It's just a really tightly designed, clever card game. The Osprey Games edition of this is beautiful. It comes in like one of their little, you know, bookcase uh, boxes that they produce. The artwork's fantastic. 
everything about this looks better and is more accessible than the original edition of the game. And right now, still available, right? It's not out of print yet, despite five years. Like, they keep producing this. Pick it up while you can. It's very good. Eventually, it will go out of print, and it'll be hard to find. People will be paying out the nose for it because it is that good of a game. Uh, so London, second edition, one of the better card games, one of the better Martin Wallace games. All right, and now our number one Martin Wallace game. Bit of a twist, bit of a surprise, and also not so much because our number one game, Brass. Birmingham. <laughs> not a big surprise here is Brass, Birmingham. The number one game, you're building networks, you're growing industry, you're navigating the world of the Industrial Revolution. It takes everything that Brass Lancashire does and it does it a bit better. Now, for again, for some people out there, there's always going to be the original. They like that kind of gameplay. I get it. But if you played Lancashire and you were like, I like this, but it's there, it's a little crushing. It just doesn't, doesn't really sit with me really well. The new version of Birmingham brings in a, a bunch of new features. So you're able to scout because sometimes you knew you get a bad hand. So by being able to discard your cards in order to get a wild location and industry card, you're back in the game. You're not punished from a bad draw. And that was a problem with Lancashire. There's also a new selling system. So you'll be able to sell some of these new products such as pottery, which is going to score you a ton of points. So it's not no longer just one or two spots that are just like everyone needs to search after. Pottery is now available for everyone to be able to produce and sell. Now, the selling part is really the interesting part here because before you had to get lucky or you almost had to force yourself into certain locations in order to be able to ensure that your goods would, would be able to sell. But now there are different locations that are randomly selected and placed on the board on the edges of the board, and you'll be able to sell those goods to those different markets. But here's the fun part. If you're going to look to sell those kind of specialty goods, you know, and you're going to need to kind of grease the wheels a little bit. So brewing comes into play. So you'll be brewing beer in order to sell goods throughout the game. It's going to be required. So it's an additional mechanic to the game. Does not break the game. Makes the game a lot more fun. Makes there another allowance for another resource to be able to be built. So it, you know, opens the game up a, a lot more. Add to that, they increased the coal and iron market, which was always kind of tapping out really early on. And you got a fantastic game that throughout is just a wonderful opportunity to network, route build throughout, and just, you know, tame that wonderful, manic, just, you know, between the finances that you have to go through the ups and downs of building something, not getting a take, trying to connect to it, getting the right cards at the right time, getting the beer that kind of pulls people over to your side and selling at those edges. It really is a different and more dynamic experience in Lancashire. And that's why Brass Birmingham is our number one game for Martin Wallace. It is. Yeah, it's one of my top five games of all time. It's number three of all time on Board Game Geek. People just love this game unless you really loved lancashire before this came out yes so, uh, <laughs> fantastic fantastic euro game 
All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll see you all a see you at the table. Take care. Bye. See ya. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.